0: so excited to kick off this inaugural episode a lot of work went into putting the first show together and i'm looking forward to getting the product out i'm a very detail oriented person i don't jump right into things so i put a lot together behind the scenes to make the absolute best product i could possibly make make sure to support the show like comment subscribe write us five stars whatever you can do to help you can find the show at three period pod on twitter or follow me at brian g underscore three on today's show, we are going to get into some of my favorite and least favorite moves of the offseason. There are still some things left for teams to do, but a big part of the offseason is pretty much complete, so we are going to get into that. Without further ado, let's get into the first period. We're going to start off with our news and our notes for the week. Um, first, some things going down with the Hurricanes. It sounded like at one point, Vladimir Tarasenko was headed to Carolina, um, they have about $3 million or so left in cap space. So it sounded like he was going there. And then maybe the next morning we, we find out that he fired his agent just three days into the offseason. And he is not a member of the Carolina Hurricanes yet as we know it. So some weird stuff going on with Vladdy. Um, it was mentioned somewhere that maybe they were waiting for a trade with Alex DeBrincat, And after that trade. Vlad would be going to Ottawa. But again. As we sit right now. DeBrincat's still in Ottawa. Tarasenko is still a free agent. And he's got a new agent. So I don't know where that's headed. Uh, Tarasenko looked like he could have been a pretty good add. For Carolina. Giving them another middle six winger. That could put the puck in the net. As we saw the, them struggle with that during the playoff. Um Tony D'Angelo another weird situation going on with Carolina. It looked like he was headed to, he was headed back to Carolina from Philly with 50% retained, but then the NHL kind of stepped in and nixed it. It seems like, um, they said it wasn't within a year yet. And they were like worried about some kind of collusion, which is just kind of bizarre considering, Philly doesn't have the same guy running the show. It's a totally different contract. So, this kind of seems like the NHL just kind of doing too much here. And we could, it seemed like the trade was going to kind of go through, I think, on July 7th. But now it's, I'm recording here on the 9th and the trade still hasn't gone through. Something's holding it up. So, we'll see if that actually happens. There was some drama on hockey Twitter last night with Ian Cole selecting number 28 when he joined Vancouver. Apparently, he wasn't told or wasn't aware of the tragic death of Luke Bordone. I, th- I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Uh, Bordone played 36 games with Vancouver and tragically passed away in 2008. And This was the first time that the number 28 was going to be worn again with Vancouver since his passing. So Ian Cole got a bunch of flack on Twitter, everyone calling him out. He released a statement saying he wasn't aware. And now he's switching his number to 82 Um, kind of weird. The Canucks like PR didn't give him heads up on that. Uh, they should know that that's kind of a number. They're not really circulating. And it's not a retired number, so there was no reason if he wasn't aware for him to pick that. But it seems like it's all settled now. He's going to wear 82, and everyone's happy, I guess. Uh, The Vancouver Canucks also re-signed Niles Hoglander. Two years, 1.1 mil AAV. Good deal for Vancouver. Uh, Hoglander proved he can play in the NHL. He's a pretty productive player so far. Two years, 1.1. He'll be an RFA, I believe, when that ends. So a good little bridge deal for him, good for the Canucks. He should be a pretty good player for them in like now and in the future when he re-signs. Um, the Penguins brought in some depth with Vinny Henestrosa. They gave him one year at the league minimum. These were the kind of deals we're expecting Kyle Dubas to make with the Penguins. They don't have a lot of space, and Henestrosa can kind of come and play third, fourth line and at league minimum he can give you some value there. This is a really like just kind of smart signing for the Penguins to get a player of value when they don't have much to work with. Um Seattle brought in Pierre Lebelmare uh one year at the league minimum. He should be their fourth line center. Uh he's, you know, been a member of a bunch of good teams, so hopefully he brings some veteran leadership there at the league minimum who cares in the second period we're going to be going through some of my favorite moves of the offseason starting off with the Colorado Avalanche trading Alex Newhook to Montreal for pick 31 and pick 37 um, it wasn't so much the trade that it makes this one of my favorite moves but what Colorado actually ended up getting out of it they take Guliaev with the 31st pick he was my 12th ranked prospect in the draft. He is an elite skating defenseman. He scored a ton in the MHL. So he really looks like he can be a great offensive defenseman in the NHL to me. Um, so my 12th ranked prospect goes at 31 to them. And then they turn around and flip 37 for Ross Colton, a middle six winger that is probably a better player right now than Alex Newhook is. And so it helps them in the future. It helps them right now. I really like this trade for them all around. Um, next Columbus taking Adam Vantelli with the third overall pick. Um, this one isn't, you know, a big brain move or anything. They just took the guy that was probably at the top of their board that fell to them. But I really love the fit with Fantilli and Columbus. He was my second ranked player, but it wasn't really about that to me because the gap between him and Carlson, I don't think is that far. Um, Vantelli just is a better fit for Columbus than Carlson was to me. Fantilli gives them some more like dynamic offensive ability, some more swagger up front. I think he'll fit in really well with that core immediately, and I think it's a kind of a gift that Columbus got Adam Fantilli there. Now, my favorite pick of the draft was Buffalo getting Zach Benson. Benson was my fourth ranked player in the draft. They snag him at thirteen. He got the uh, short guy discount. Um. Benson is an elite offensive playmaker. He he has an extremely high offensive IQ. He creates so much offense. He is a dog. An absolute dog. On the forecheck, on the backcheck, I think he's going to be an extremely productive player in the NHL. And when we're looking back at this draft, it's going to be ridiculous that he went 13th. So Buffalo adds him to their core. I think it was a really important draft pick for them, to be honest, because... They're they're looking really promising right now, but they could have used one more really elite scorer in their forward core, and I think they just get handed to them on a silver platter with Zach Benson. Um, this move got a lot of flack actually, but I kind of see the vision here. The Coyotes took Simashev and Boot with their sixth and twelfth pick. This was when they took Simashev at six. I was a little skeptical. They both these guys were a little further down on my board, but after they drafted Boot, I was like, okay, I kind of see the vision here. The Coyotes aren't going to be competitive next year or the year after. Maybe the year after that, they become competitive. These are two guys they can really give some time to. They can, like, the Coyotes now can suck for a couple more years. Logan Cooley's not going to play this year, so it just gives them an extra year, probably of getting a high draft pick that they probably wouldn't have if they drafted a more NHL ready player. So I actually, I kind of see where the Coyotes are going with this. These are two guys that are like rare body types. They're freaks of nature. Simashev is a six, four giant who skates like one of the better defensemen you'll see. And same with boot. He is like electric. He's a stick handler. He's a playmaker. He's just an offensive creator at like six, five. He's huge. Um, so they get like two rare body type players and they can just kind of wait on them and keep drafting high in the draft for a couple more years. And they're going to have a really good core going forward if they stay the course. Um, so this Toronto, they sign Bertuzzi and Domi they get Tyler Bertuzzi at 5.5 for a year and Max Domi at one year, 3 million. Um, I was really worried about the guy. Oh, sorry about Toronto off season before these moves, you know, they get Ryan Reeves. I'm like, what are like, what are we doing here? Um, But then they sign these two guys and I don't know if it was genius or just kind of some luck that fell into Bride Trilling, Trilling's lap. But you can't complain with the res- with the results of it. They get two like Bertuzzi's a you know second line. You could argue top line winger. Uh, I don't know really what happened why he didn't end up in Boston. It seemed like he was de- destined to resign there, especially after the Taylor Hall trade. But um, he lands in Toronto. He's going to have a prove it deal uh, for one year. He gets paid a little bit of money, five and a half million. Can't complain. Um, and then he's going to hit free agency again. He's still going to be pretty young, and he's going to be looking for a big deal. can't really go wrong with signing with Toronto. You're going to put up numbers there. So that's... Toronto really kind of saved their offseason to me with these two signings. Um, Another one of my favorite moves, Winnipeg, getting Gabe Velarde plus some more for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, I like Dubois. I like... he's a good second line center. I don't know if he'll ever be the top center on a good team, but I understood why the Kings went for him. So I don't really think it was a bad move for them, but I like Gabe Velarde. He showed some real promise last year. He was a really good defensive center. So for Winnipeg to move on from PLD, they don't have to give him that giant contract. They get some more assets and I follow and they get a first round pick um for Velart- or with Villardi, it's like did they really downgrade that much to get another good player and a first round pick like it was a really good return for bld and winnipeg kind of is starting to, to go for that rebuild now like i don't know why they're like maybe the offers aren't there but i think it's time to move shifley it's time to move hellebuck i don't want them leaving for nothing. I think that's just such a waste and a mismanagement of your assets. So if Winnipeg can get those two guys moved for a good return, they're going to have like a really good, like start to this rebuild. So I don't know, but these Canadian markets, they tend to kind of hold off on the rebuild and force their team into the playoffs and just kind of stay in mediocrity. So let's see if they can actually go for the rebuild here. And I think they're going to have a really good one started after this trade. Another great move, in my opinion, was Carolina getting Dimitri Orlov. They get him signed for two years, 7.75 mil. When you hear that AAV, you kind of jump, and it's like, well, that's a lot of money for Dimitri Orlov, which, yeah, it is. But for Carolina, they can afford that. Like, That's just kind of extra money they had in their pocket to get the guy they actually really want. Orlov's a legitimate top pair defenseman. They're going to now have a top five of Jacob Slavin, Dimitri Orlov, Brent Burns, Brett Pesci, and Brady Shea. I don't, like, no team can compete with that. Like, they might move, sh- they might move uh, Pesci, but if they do, they'll get a great return. If not, they'll have, like, the best top five I've ever seen. So, Carolina just stacking up on defense. Uh, this one was a major move to me. This was the Flyers drafting Matvej Mitchkoff. Like, I can't explain how big of a move this was for the flyers the old regime never would have made that pick this is a risk it was a risk they were they did their homework they were comfortable taking this they believe mitchkoff wants to be there it sounds like he really does from everything we've heard and it's just like it was kind of a breath of fresh air we haven't seen anything like this from philly they're always you know, trying, they're always avoiding the rebuild. They're trying to take whatever they can to get into the playoffs. And then they've just kind of been stuck in this mediocrity window forever now. And this kind of like, it was like, I said, a breath of fresh air, really like, you're like, Oh wow. The flyers are actually like committing to this. Like Danny Breer should be praised for this move. I think Philly fans are doing that. I saw their turnout at a rookie camp. It was insane. Yeah, Mitch Kau's not even there. It was just like a new it was a new life for this Flyers fan base that really needed it. Another great move I thought. I'm a Panthers fan, so take this with a grain of salt. But I really loved when they got Lorenz for Duclair with, in the trade with the Sharks. Um, Lorenz makes 1.1 AEV for a year. He's a good bottom six forward. Um, the Panthers really lost the finals last year on depth. The team was just too injured. They were ran out of bodies. And with that savings that Duclair gave them when he was traded away, they signed Evan Rodriguez, um, four years, three mil AAV. They probably gave him an extra year to get the AAV down a little bit to where they could afford him. But Rodriguez is an up- instant upgrade from Duclair in their top six Uh Duclair had some great years in Florida, but after the Achilles injury, he was just really brutal last season when he came back, which you can't blame him for. That's just kind of the reality of the situation. So the Panthers were going to have to be taking a really big bet going back into the season with him in their top six. So this is just a much safer add for them. Gives them better depth. So they got two good players for one that they Probably shouldn't have been relying on for a deep run. And then another free agent signing was Matt Duchesne to Dallas. He goes there for three mil, just one year. Prove it deal for Matt Duchesne. He scored like 40 goals just last, not last year, but the season before. Um, I think he just kind of wanted to be in Dallas. He trusted what they had going on there. So he'll look to hit the market again next season when the cap jumps up. But Dallas gets a really good second line center here, and they're going to be one of the better teams in the Western Conference. And this just made them even better. So that's like a really big move for Dallas when they didn't have a ton to work with. So they get like one of the better players in free agency and don't even have to give them long term. They don't have to like really make any risk with this move. So good for both sides here. And we'll see what Duchesne can get in free agency next year. We talked about our best moves of the offseason. Now I'm going to go into my worst moves of the offseason. This period three, we'll talk about what I think were the worst moves of the off season. starting off with the Habs getting Alex Newhook. We talked about why I thought the Habs were in the right for getting those picks for Newhook. And I don't think one team being right makes the other team wrong, necessarily but I don't like what the Habs did here. They trade pick 31 and pick 37 for Alex Newhook. Not really terrible value. I think Alex Newhook can be worth that if he plays just a little bit better than what he did in Colorado. But the problem is I just think the Habs are accelerating this rebuild a little too quickly. They did it last season when they moved a the first round pick for Kirby Doc. Doc played pretty well. He was worth that price. But now what you're having here is you're like kind of locked into your core now being Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, David Reinbacher, and your Slavkovsky. You're not; they're not bad enough anymore to pick in the top five of the draft. So I just I don't know where they're like. Is that core good enough? It's not to me. Um, you missed, in my opinion, on the Slavkovsky pick. He was my eighth or ninth ranked player that draft. I would have taken um, Logan Cooley. I would have taken Shane Wright. I would have taken Simon Nemitz. I would have taken David Yurchich. All four of those guys would have, would go higher right now if we did a redraft. So they kind of like, I think Zilfkowski is still going to be a good player, but is that core? We use this term with the Leafs kind of annoyingly, but is that core four good enough for the Habs to be contenders in the Eastern conference for the next five, 10 years? I don't, I don't think so. They're, they're they're done adding to that core. They don't have the um. They're not bad enough, really. They're going to be a pretty good team next season now. So I just I'm really uninspired with how this massive rebuild turned out. It, like that's what you came out of it with. It's just not impressive to me. I think in four or five years we're, we might be doing this again with them. And like that goes to another team kind of not doing so well with the rebuilding situation is the Calgary flames. I'm like totally befuddled by what they're doing this off season. They like, unfortunately with Johnny Goudreau with Matthew Kachuk, they had to, they had to lose Johnny Goudreau for free because they really banked on him staying there when he left. Now Matthew Kachuk wants out. they, Brad Trilliving did a really good job getting good value out of Kachuk in that trade. But at the time, it was like, okay, you got Jonathan Huberto, you got Mackenzie Weger? You're not going to have a great team. How? About, and those guys are nearing 30. Trade those guys again and start the rebuild here. You guys are in a great spot to start a rebuild. Instead, they go all in and they sign... Jonathan Huberto to a massive 10 and mil times eight extension. They give M- Mackenzie Weger eight years. Oh, and then they go in free agency and give Nazem Kadri seven years. The Kadri and Huberto contracts look like massive, massive problems right now. They're already not playing at that value that they're being paid and they're going to be getting paid well into their thirties. And now they have Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin requesting trades they have Mikel Backlin requesting a trade. It's like, it's time to move on. It's time to start over. And it doesn't look like they're going to do it. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they just let Lindholm and Hannafin walk in free agency because the guys don't want to resign. Or they're just going to massively overpay them and dig this ditch even further. Like, just go move on, Calgary. Like, get going with this rebuild. I know you'll have Kadri and huberto there while you're rebuilding it's like it sucks but it's the reality of the of what happens when you mess up that bad last season and i don't i just don't think they're going to be willing to do this rebuild they're going to sit on their hands and get nothing out of it um and onto our next team here a team coming out of a rebuild what is the anaheim ducks they sign alex kalorn and radko gudas Calorne gets 6.25 for four years. Gudis gets 4 million for three years. And these are just the typical free agency overpays we see every offseason that end up in disaster. Kalorne is not a six and a half million dollar player right now. And when he's 38, I think it's going to be even worse. I like I understand you want veteran leadership. You want to start moving out of the rebuild yeah, okay, we can do that. But we, we have to do it cheaper. When you pay these guys like that, these contracts end up as massive disasters. And you're like, you can't pay that type of money in that type of term for veteran leadership. Like, it's very easy to find at much cheaper cost. And I think they just signed some, two pretty large anchors here to their rebuild and I just don't like the I don't like the path it's sending them on. They're gonna have money again next offseason. Like I wouldn't be surprised if we see the Anaheim Ducks make some really big swings next season that are not gonna work out. Um another move I thought was I don't know if it was bad, but it was a little off. I don't I don't really know what happened here with Boston and Tyler Bertuzzi. It seemed like he wanted to be there. It seemed like Boston wanted him, and then they traded Taylor Hall, seemingly to bring back Bertuzzi. And then Bertuzzi signs in Toronto for a easy one-year, five and a half million dollar contract. I don't. I don't know what happened. They like. I guess Bertuzzi wanted long-term from Boston. Boston wasn't willing. I don't. I. Can't, I can't really figure it out here. I've gone in circles trying to understand it. So Boston moves out Taylor Hall. They don't bring Bertuzzi back. And then they got bring in some guys like Morgan Geeky, like JVR. So they just like, they got worse a lot. Like uh, they were definitely going to get worse, but they really like fumbled here with not bringing back Bertuzzi. They could have given him that not, maybe not seven or eight years like he probably wanted, but if they gave him six times six I don't know i I just don't see how this got messed up messed up so bad and how he ended up in Toronto for a year at five point five um one of the i I didn't like this Ryan Graves contract by Kyle Duvis uh Graves goes to Pittsburgh for six years four and a half million Graves is a like bottom pair maybe second pair defenseman. He's not worth four and a half million this second to me. And now you're paying him for six years. He's already 28 years old. I just don't see this contract aging well. And I, I get what Dubas is doing. He need, he needed another one. They needed another guy there. But I, I look at like a Carson Susie contract who went to Vancouver for 3.37. I think that's a much better deal. I, Like, I don't really understand why Graves got six years out of this. Like, if he signed two times 4.5, that's more along the lines of what I was expecting for him. I don't know how he got six years. Um, Dubas did some decent things here with Pittsburgh. This one, I don't really see the vision. Speaking of not seeing the vision, this Ryan Reeves contract, I mean, this was mocked by everybody and their mom. And I I think rightfully so. This was a typical hockey man. Let's add grit and size and fighting. And we need to protect our super. This was one of those like three years, one point three five. Ryan Reeves is one of the worst players in the NHL, and he has been since he started. I don't know how he gets anything more than league minimum on every single one of his contracts. And to give him three years, he's already 36 years old. Why are you giving him three years? You needed to give him three years to pay him more money than he's worth to bring in size and protecting people. Like, what is this? Like, does this ever work? And here we are, like, and Bradshaw Living is really lucky. And I talked about it before in the earlier part of the episode that I think he kind of... Got lucky here with the Bertuzzi and Domi signings. Like those kind of saved a pretty disastrous looking offseason for Toronto. And here, like this was kind of the this encompassed it right here with this Ryan Reese contract. Um another team kind of I'll just get right in. Steve Iserman, the eyes, is- this Iser plan is really starting to fall on deaf ears here. I think Detroit fans are kind of over it. I was over it last season when I saw the Ben Shira contract. Uh Iserman just kind of it seems like he lost his patience waiting for this rebuild. Uh he brings in Hall at three three time three years, 3.4 million, sorry. And he also brings in JT Comfer, five years, 5.1 million. Two overpayments for Justin Hall's a pretty below average defenseman. JT Confort maybe a middle sixer, and you're giving them term, you're giving them a big payday. Now they just have like this middling core, and then a bunch of old guys that are getting paid too much money. Like, I don't I don't understand what's going on here. Um I like I said, I think Iserman just lost patience, and now he's trying to like push this team into a playoff contention window. The Andrew Cop contract looks like a disaster from last season. We knew the Ventura trade was going to be it or the Ventura signing was going to be a disaster. And they do it again this offseason. So like I think in six, seven years, we're going to be seeing Detroit at the bottom of the standings again looking to rebuild. Because Steve Eiserman messed this up. And I don't know if Detroit's ever going to be willing to admit that mistake. But here we are. And we've talked a lot about teams messing up rebuilds, not willing to commit to them. And here's another team that's doing the same thing. The Nashville Predators. Um, they were kind of like the, the media darlings this off season of, oh, look, they brought in all these good players. But yeah, they brought in all these good players at what cost though? The, this team was nowhere close to winning anything. And now we move out Matt Duchesne, we move out Ryan Johansson. And I was like, oh, look like Nashville's committing. Barry Trotz got brought in. He's committing to a rebuild. He's going to reestablish a new core, a new culture here in Nashville. And then he goes out in free agency. He signs Ryan O'Reilly four years, four and a half million. Gustav Nyquist, two years, 3.2 million. And then Luke Shen for three years, 2.75 million. And now they're just back to the They're back to mid like, they're just stuck in mediocrity again. And this was just like a missed opportunity. I see Nashville the same way I saw them before the year started. They're just going to be mediocre. They st- like I, After they moved uh, Duchesne, after they moved Johansson, I'm like, okay, now they can trade UC Sorrows. They can get a big return for him. And they can really have like a great rebuild going here. And they'll still have Roman Yossi and Forgeberg to kind of lead that next group and we're back to mediocrity. They're not going to be bad enough to get a good pick. They're not going to be good enough to be a contender and Nashville is back in mediocrity and stuck in where they were before. Uh, And my last, my last horrible move of the off season isn't so much one move, but it's all the moves and it is Lou Lamorello just, totally blowing up the New York Islanders to give them the best chance to win right now. And this was kind of the, he made his bed and now he's going to have to lie in it when he traded for, um, Bo Horvat last season. Uh, that that Bo Horvat deal, we know that's going to age terribly. Horvat's a good player. He makes their team better. And, they weren't like they're not a good team. They're kind of again stuck in this mediocrity uh, spiral, like we can call it. So they're gonna be a bubble team next season. They might make the playoffs, they might not. But Lou Murillo continued that plan this offseason. He gave seven year deals out to um, Scott Mayfield, he gave a seven year deal out to Pierre Angval, he re signed um, Ilya Sorokin which was a must, but then he signs, um, Varlamov four years and Varlamov is already like in the back nine. I think that was a bit of a favor maybe to get the Sorokin deal down to Sorokin. That's what it seems like. So I think Lou Morello, he's just decided I'm not going to be here in five years. I'm just going to, you know, light the dumpster on fire and peace out and leave the next guy with this problem which you gotta, you gotta kind of respect it. I mean, he has the, he has the power to do it from Islanders ownership. He's doing it, so like they're gonna be the same as they were last year. Um, this is a team we've seen kind of over, like they've played better in the playoffs than they do in the regular season. We've seen them be a really good playoff team. So maybe they win the cup this year, and Lou Lamoriello looks like a genius, but. What are, like, what are the odds they win the cup? 0.5%. It would probably be the eighth team in the Eastern Conference you'd pick to win. So we'll see where that leads. Um, I mean, we know where it's going to end up with them being an absolute shit show in five years. But that's where the Islanders are, and that's where they'll continue to be for the next couple of years until some of these guys' wheels really do fall off. And with that, that is the first episode of the Three Period Podcast. Um, thanks for listening along. Um, follow on Twitter at Three Period Pod and my Twitter at Brian G underscore three. Uh, this will be dropping Monday morning, and that'll be kind of the schedule moving forward. I'm going to be recording on Sundays, dropping on Monday morning. So send your tweets and like follow up and let me know what can be improved this is still the first episode still a long way to go I'm probably going to work on getting some co-hosts but thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week